Hello, everyone. Today, I have the honor of talking with Sarah Bennis, who has had a most wonderful impact on my health education teaching skills in the last few years. And I'm going to rack her brain a little bit about skills-based health education. And in a previous session, I talked to her um, colleague, Holly Alperin, and we kind of spoke about the basics of skills-based health education. And Sarah and I are going to take a little bit deeper dive into some of the issues that that brings up. So um, Sarah, welcome this morning. And would you be willing to share just a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, hi, good morning everybody. And thanks Cassie for being my interviewer and thanks uh, Indiana Shape for this opportunity. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so, you know, just a quick little bit about me. Um, right now I'm at Merrimack College, which is a small college in uh, Northeast Massachusetts. And I am in our School of Health Sciences. So I'm teaching more intro to public health, health behavior promotion type courses. Uh, but before I was at Merrimack, I was at Boston University running our physical and health education teacher prep program for six years there. And that, that's really where I started this whole skills-based health ed journey. Um, Holly and I have been working together for a long time now. Um, and it's really exciting to be here and to really see um, the, the forward progress um, of this approach and, and to be able to talk with you today about your experiences and hopefully help other people as they continue on this journey or, or maybe are just starting on this journey. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you. And um, just to make sure that everyone's kind of on the same page, could you just start us off with an overview of skills-based health education? Sure, so, you know, similar to any other kind of curriculum, we're talking about a planned, sequential, comprehensive approach. Um, I think some of the key things that really stand out about skills-based health ed are one that it's relevant, and we'll talk maybe more about this later, but a lot of it is built on the needs of your students and in the needs of your community. So Holly and I have gone all over the country and helped different, different districts develop curriculum and it's never looked the same because of that opportunity to really make it relevant. Um, we're talking about keeping a socio-ecological and socio-cultural perspective. So really thinking not just about sort of health in the small way, but really this, this sort of big understanding of, of health and, and the way that our individual health interplays with things around us. Uh, it, there's a focus on participatory methods, so it's really student-centered and there's a lot of student responsibility um, and opportunities for leadership in the classroom. And our, our big goal is to help students develop the skills, attitudes, and functional knowledge that they can use to maintain or enhance their own health and wellness and also the health and wellness of others. Okay, so basically we're making that kind of transition from learning a lot of stuff that we could look up later on and we're focusing more on what are we doing with the information that we're able to find. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, when I was teaching a curriculum methods class, I had my students um, come up with a slogan and their slogan was skills, it's what you do, right? And that's really the focus of a skills-based approach is helping build the skills which really become your tools, right? If you, we think about our own personal health and wellness every day, we're analyzing influences, we're making decisions. You know, we need to advocate for ourselves sometimes or advocate for others. So it's, it is exactly what you said. It's focusing on the tools that people can apply across a range of situations, across a lifetime, rather than focusing on information, which we know really doesn't A, change behavior, B, it changes all the time, 
and C really isn't going to give you what you need to be able to, you know, function um, and, and maintain your health in this world that we're living in right now. Perfect. Um, so one of the struggles that I had when I began using a skills-based approach is I ran into some resistance. Um, you know, this model really stretches student thinking. It's challenging for them because it doesn't lead to just one set of clear, correct answers. It's not A, B, C, or D. Every student's going to have a slightly different answer outcome way that they apply that skill and in school um, I've had some frustration because kids just want sometimes that easy way out like just tell me the stuff that I need to know and then I'll take a test on it and um, so how do you explain to students and other stakeholders because parents and administrators and even community members sometimes want to know what's going on in health class um, how do you explain um, the difference from content-based to get their buy-in? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, when we've had this conversation with teachers before, I think part of it um, is being willing to be in that space, right? We, we do sort of have a context in which students are taught that there is a right answer and I just need to know the answer so that I can be successful. But that's not what life is and that's not what health is. And I think when you talk to students and you give them examples of the ways that they might need to use these skills in their real lives, they can start to see and they automatically have that buy-in because it's about them and it's for them. And I think that also ties back to that idea of relevancy. Like if you're really leading from your students and you're doing things like letting them create scenarios, you're giving them space to have honest conversations about barriers to certain behaviors or barriers to certain skill application, that's authentic and they see themselves in that curriculum. So there's automatically more buy-in, right? So I think sometimes we we feel like we have to get a lot of buy-in like ahead of time, but sometimes we just need to start it. And as we do it, they're like, oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, you know, I see how this matters. And then you'll get the stories where a student will be like, yeah, you know, I used an I statement at home with my parents and it went really well. Or, you know, I was able to use that decision-making model when I was trying to decide about the part-time job that I want to get, right? So then, then I think it sort of snowballs. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because I was, I was just on a call with some teachers and there was one teacher who had done, you know, more work towards skills based and we were just all talking together with her department. And one of the teachers asked that question, like, how do you, well, a little bit different, but same idea, right? How do you motivate students? How do you get them to like want to do the work? And the teacher who had shifted to a skills based approach said, I don't have that problem anymore. Like it took a little time. But once they were really into it and what she felt more comfortable in the approach, students wanted to do the work because it was interesting to them. And, you know, sometimes Holly and I joke, health education is the one class in school that's all about them, right? Like this is their lives. It's what they're dealing with right now, if, you know? And so it should be a place where they have those, those opportunities to really connect and see themselves. But I think that's part of it. I think, you know, you have to, you have to be willing to do that work of making it really authentic and organic and relevant. And I think then that helps. And when you then provide those spaces where there really is a lot of student voice and choice, um, it becomes easier to get that buy-in. And I think, you know, it, I do know from experience and from helping lots of teachers over the years, that it does, it can often be uncomfortable at first. So I think that it's important to acknowledge that. So, you know, 
you can probably speak a little bit to this as well, but I think when you first do it, it feels different. It wasn't how our health education was for most of us. It wasn't how we were taught in our pre-service programs to teach. So there's a big learning curve for us as teachers. And then that sort of translates to our students as well, right? So I think um, we have to do it. And once we do it, the buy-in will come. I think we have to be mindful of the fact that this is a change and this is a process and that's okay. And that that's like part of what we want to do. And then I think you think about that bigger picture, you know, like Cassie, you had mentioned and sort of like we talked about a minute ago, that these are things that everybody uses every day. And when you talk to parents about that, say we're talking about goal setting, we're talking about decision making, you know, those are all things that parents know that students need, right? And, and they're things that they can use, again, at home, you know, out, out when they're, you know, out in the community. Like there's all sorts of ways that these skills are really transferable and just help us in all sorts of different areas of our lives. And so I think um, we get a lot of feedback around that too, is that when parents hear um, that it's a focus on skills, um, often there's a positive response to that, right? Like, oh, that's, you know, I didn't even really think about that before, right? Or sometimes it's like, hey, I wish someone had taught me that, right? Like, cause we don't necessarily learn these skills ourselves. So I think like those are my main, you know, thoughts around that issue of buy-in. But I think um, I do also want to acknowledge that that challenge for yourself as a teacher, but also for students and really being willing to be in that space where you, because I think, you know, and I struggle with this too, but at the end of the day, they have to, students have to learn how to manage these kinds of challenges where there isn't a right and wrong and where they might feel uncomfortable and where they have to dig deep. Like that, that's part of, you know, being a human being in this world. And so I think that even though it's hard and trust me, I get frustrated too. So I'm not sitting here saying that it's easy or that every day I'm like, rah, rah, rah. But I think like at the end of the day, you know, to me, I, I feel like that is fundamentally part of like what we do as educators, right, is, is to push and, and to more positive push, right? I don't like the push sounds kind of negative, but like a positive push toward the kinds of skills and experiences that we really know that they need. Wonderful. I think what you were saying, it's important to acknowledge that this is going to be challenging and this is a different way for students to be thinking, letting them know, hey, this is hard. It is hard to be thinking about your future and what it is that you want out of life and how you're going to react in different situations. It is challenging and it's a new way of teaching for me in the last few years as well. So let's just do it together and this is where we mess up. It's okay to mess up with the way that we communicate when we're practicing in class. That way we're confident when we have to go out into the real world and actually apply it to real situations. Um, so I think acknowledging that it's, it's tough and it's okay and it's all right to struggle. This is a learning environment. The kids really take that well. So um, next I'd like to think about planning. How does a teacher or a department or district go about deciding what skills and content are most needed by their students? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, um, you know, one great area always to look at is your data. So if you have youth risk behavior data, you know, from the CDC, if you have some other tool that your community is using to collect data on some of the risk behaviors um, in your community, I think that's a great place to start. 
I know um, my health department has that kind of information. Yeah, yeah. So different places have different, um, you know, agencies that might be supporting them um, with their data. So often there's something. The nice thing about the um, YRBS data from the CDC is that even if your, you know, specific town or city doesn't have it, you might be able to find it at the county level or the state level. So at least it gives you an idea of something closer to your immediate area. Um, but absolutely connecting with community partners, you know, even talking to like boards of health or, you know, whatever your sort of agency in your area is that does um, work on those kinds of things can be really helpful. So that that's one thing. I think one of the biggest things, and, and we spent a lot of time, you know, when I was in teacher prep doing this, but it's really getting to know your community. Um, it's because I think sometimes we overly focus on um, the problems, right? Like we look at risk factors and risk behaviors and like that's what we focus on. But there's this like wealth of other stuff that we can talk about in um, health education. And there's so many ways to connect your content and skills to what's happening in your community, right? So what are some of these, you know, issues that are happening in your community? What are the assets in your community? So really like starting from that kind of bigger picture and sort of seeing what's there. And then I think you also talk to potentially parents and you talk to students and you, you know, you talk to other teachers and staff in the school, connect with your school psychologist or school guidance counselor, talk to your school nurse, the principal, right? Any, any stakeholders can be involved in this process to really think about, listen, with the time that we have, what do we feel like are the most important skills for our students? So often when I actually, you know, go into districts and, and do this work, that's the first thing we start with is I say, what do your students need? And again, that can be a mix of like sort of data and numbers and just their personal experience. Like, I think this is what our students need. We put that on the board. Then we look at them, we say, okay, what skills do we think students need? And sometimes it's like our sixth graders and our eighth graders need decision-making, but the kinds of decisions that our sixth graders are making are a little bit different than our eighth graders, right? So we're going to focus on something different, or maybe it's looking at communication. So maybe in sixth grade, the communication is like if students are maybe in a new school, if they just started a middle school, if that's like when students transition, maybe it's effective communication and how to make new friends, right? But then in eighth grade, um, the, the focus of your communication unit is more refusal. So the, the, the short answer is like, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, but you do always want to lead with um, looking at the, the needs in your community, but also the assets in your community. And where do you, because again, I think when I say student needs, it's not necessarily from the perspective of, um, uh, you know, again, only addressing risky behaviors. It's like, what are the positive you know, sort of skills that they might need? What are the, what are the positive strategies that students might need not to like mitigate a problem, but just to help them enhance the health of self and others, right? So I think you, you, you use what you know. Um, you maybe do some of that work to really understand the community that you're working in. And then you, you hopefully talk to other people. I think one of the challenges that often um, happens in health education is that teachers are teaching alone. And so sometimes that can make these kind of this kind of work more difficult because you're trying to like manage all this stuff and you don't have that person to sort of like sound things off with. So I would say if you can like try to find a partner in that and even if they're not maybe in your district, which would be better, um, you know, another health teacher locally or, you know, connect with your, your, your shape organization or your state organization and see if you can find someone to kind of help you work through that. But um, it's really gonna be dependent on what's going on for your students in your community. And that's what we suggest that you determine. I think the only other tip I would say before we um, sort of move on across this question 
is don't feel like you need to always cover every skill every single time you have health education. So a lot of it's going to depend on how long you see students, what the time is, but generally speaking, um, Holly and I don't suggest that people try to do all the skills every year. It's really about trying to figure out, you know, what is the most relevant for your students, you know, in whenever you're seeing them. And remember too, that it's much easier to add more than it is to take stuff away, right? So if you plan for like, I'm pretty confident that I'm gonna get these 25 lessons in and I'm gonna cover these four skills, then you end up having five extra lessons, then you have some wiggle room, right? You can always add more after, but you're still confident that you've been able to address, you know, what the biggest areas um, that your students need. Great. And I think too, it's important to remember that if we're focusing on the skills, the content can change and update as things, new things come to light. Um, I like to share an example with my students about why skills-based. We focus on how to get information and make sure it's valid and reliable when we're sorting through new information because things change. When I started teaching, and when I went through school, vaping didn't exist, and that's a newer thing. And um, so when the content change, when changes, when the challenges of life are different than what they were back when we were in middle school health class, we still have the skills to tackle that challenge. It's just applying it in a different setting. So in terms of what students need right now, sometimes you can even survey them, but they're not always going to know what challenges they're going to face in life, which is why it's kind of awesome to focus on the skill and we don't have to worry about do they have everything they might possibly need for their whole life. If we teach the skills, then they kind of do. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that that is something that we do. And I know we have a lot of questions, so I'll try not to talk too long on this point. But, um, you know, is it teachers, do we, we feel like we need to give them all the things, right? Because we don't see them for a long time and then maybe they don't have health education after us. But I think what you said is really important to remember that when we help them develop competency and proficiency in these skills, they do have what they need and they'll be able to use those skills, you know, in any kind of situation moving forward because they've, they've built them, right? And, and we've done that, that work of going through the skill development process and really assessing these skills in a meaningful way. So I, I think that's really important. And I think, I think that that is something that might have to be like a mantra when you first get started though, right? Is like, the skills are the things that matter. I don't have to tell them all the other things that I think they might need to know because the skills at the end of the day are gonna help them to be able to do what they need to do um, in order to be healthy across their lifetime. Perfect. Um, so when we're talking about practicing skills, what might that look like in a classroom space? How might that, and like even thinking about online platforms, because some of us are incorporating some of that, what are some ways that kids might practice their skills? Yeah, great. So, you know, I, it's going to, of course, depend on the skill that we're talking about. But just a couple of examples would be if you're talking about um, accessing information and, and maybe we're talking specifically about online information. Um, if you're in class, maybe it's students are working in small groups on a computer or on a device and they are searching websites. You've given them some sort of scavenger hunt or something they need to find on specific websites. So they're looking at these different websites. They're using some sort of checklist or other tool to evaluate the websites that they're using to make sure um, that what they're looking at is valid and reliable resources, but they're working, they're talking, they're independently doing their thing. Um, 
that is another example that could easily be modified for online or at home, right? You just make sure that students have that checklist ahead of time, um, but they're doing the same sort of thing. And maybe they're doing it independently, right? Maybe it's an individual project, or maybe if you're able to, you put them in small groups. You know, if you're using like breakout rooms in Zoom or, um, you know, some other opportunity where students are working together on a Google Doc or something, you know, to work through that checklist and, and to do that scavenger hunt. Um, if we're talking about accessing uh, services in the community, maybe it's students are actually, you know, going on little mini like field trips out into the community and they're, they're visiting different community partners or they're calling community partners. They're, but, they're, but they're doing, right? It's, it's all this doing. If it's um, decision making, maybe students are working again, you know, partners, small groups to create a scenario that's relevant to them. And then they're creating a choose your own adventure type story where the character has to work through the steps of decision making. But I think the, the main ideas of things that you see um, are, you know, students working together, ideally in some capacity. And it's, it is okay um, if you are, you know, more online for it to not always be collaborative. I mean, I, I think, you know, we always want to have that social interaction when we can. But if you think about it, and, and for those people who are, you know, physical educators, this might resonate too. The biggest thing is you want to provide students a chance to practice the skill that you're asking them to work on. And so it's a lot of doing, it's a lot of, you know, sort of that, that hands-on, you know, project-based learning um, where they're engaging um, with, with the skill and the content that you're asking them to, you know, maybe in advocacy, they're researching, a, you know, a social movement that is of interest to them, you know, social action that occurred in their community or their state or somewhere in the country. But it's like they have the opportunity to think about how this is meaningful for them. And they're applying these skills in these, you know, smaller sort of ways that will lead them toward um, that, that sort of bigger goal of your final assessment. Um, and I think, you know, there's lots of opportunities. I think particularly, um, you know, I, I, I was <laughs> joked with a lot of people about um, this, but when you actually think about it, this, no matter what setting you're in school or at home, it's like immediately relevant, right? So, you know, I've been home, um, you know, more with my children recently, and we're doing a lot more communication. <laughs> and we're talking a lot more about how we communicate with each other and resolve conflict, right? So there's, there's just all sorts of opportunities in any space that you're in to provide those opportunities for students to, you know, connect with a trusted adult to practice communication skills, you know, connect with a trusted adult to talk about, um, you know, influences in their life. So there's just such a rich landscape for these practice opportunities. And I think you just want to think about making sure that students are doing that they're that they're taking something related to that skill, the skill cue, a part of that skill, and they're doing something with that where it's meaningful and relevant for them. Awesome. And I know when I've had to have students practice like active listening, obviously it's easier in the classroom when I can witness them doing it, but I was able to have them at home practice with an adult that they had contact with either in person or they could even FaceTime somebody and practice active listening skills and have that person to um, kind of use the checklist of what it was. They were supposed to review the checklist with the person they were listening to and they had a topic for that person to speak about. And then they together afterward went through to determine if they had followed all of the steps and if not, 
they had the opportunity to go back and kind of redo and practice demonstrating that skill again. So that actually kind of gets into my next question, which is about assessment. So um, some options for students to get personalized feedback. Um, when we're teaching skills, just like when we teach PE, obviously students have to practice and we give them feedback. We let them know how they're doing, what they can improve upon, what they're doing well, how to make adjustments. And while we would like to be able to do that individually for all of our students, it's not always practical. And so what are some different ways for students to get feedback without overwhelming the teacher? And then how does that all tie into um, skill, assessing skill development and communicating our expectations with students? Yeah, great. So I think, you know, starting, I guess, with the sort of the end, right? We're, we're really talking more about authentic assessments, right? So, so we're talking about authentic, we can't do skills on a paper pencil test, right? We're, they, have, they have to be creating something because skills are things that you do. So that, that's one thing is we're already, you know, thinking in our minds about this authentic assessment where students are doing something. Um, in our skill development model, um, Holly and I actually suggest that right when you start your unit, you say, you know, this is a skill focus of the unit. Um, and here's what you're going to be able to do at the end and maybe even show the rubric at that point. So another thing is um, I admit fully <laughs> that I don't love um, writing rubrics, uh, but they really are helpful um, once you have them in terms of being able to have clear expectations that you're communicating with students um, and also to help, as you mentioned, you know, give that feedback along the way, right? So you have your, your authentic assessment, um, you have your rubric that you're going to use to measure it. I personally have found um, analytic rubric, which is where you have like the multiple criteria that you're going to be looking for um, in the project really clearly outlined and they get a score for each of the main criteria that you're looking at. Um, I think that helps because it it really helps break down what you're looking for and that can really help students be like, okay, I've done this, I've done this, you know, maybe I haven't done this. So, so the first thing is just even the initial setup of the authentic assessments where they have a choice to um, Think about both maybe how they will apply it, but also the product that they'll create. I think one of the things, and Cassius goes to your point earlier too, that's awesome about skills-based is that it just provides you this framework, right? So when you're focusing on the skills, so say, you know, decision-making, um, it can be demonstrated in a lot of different ways because I'm looking to see if they can identify the decision to be made, identify consequences, et cetera, et cetera. They can do that through a story. They could do that in a movie. They could do that in a comic strip. Um, they could do that in, you know, a poem, right? So there's there, the product itself um, is actually less important than like what you're looking for in it, right? And the way that they've applied those skills. So that also automatically provides opportunity for choice. And then in terms of feedback, I know this is something that can be really tough and I struggle with this myself, especially when you have a lot of students and you really wanna give them that individual feedback. So one thing is just, is just knowing that and again, if you're a PE teacher, it's the same way when you're in PE, you can't always give students all the feedback all the time, right? And so it's thinking about building these systems ahead of time. So first of all, if they have the rubric, they already have an opportunity to do it themselves, but maybe you actually integrate um, an, a, a, a place in, in their unit where they have to actually do a self-assessment, right? They have to complete the rubric for themselves and they have to talk about where they can improve and what they've done well. You can think about having peer feedback 
And again, that can happen in class or online. You can use things like Flipgrid or, you know, Seesaw or even just Google Docs, right? And have them share it with someone else and a peer, you know, gives them that feedback. Um, and then, you know, I think if you're not used to using rubrics, it can like take a little time to get used to them. But I, I honestly have found that my grading takes a lot less time when I use a rubric and I don't have to necessarily give a whole bunch of additional comments because I've set up my rubric in such a way that the student can look at it and say, okay, you know, here's where I met, here's where I didn't. And so I think, um, it's it's all those things you know another i i was telling this to cassie before but i'm uh reading this book called small teaching online and they talk about how um you we sort of have to like figure out if we are mostly online you know where those major points are that we really feel like it's important to give feedback right and maybe we have to do more breaking down of projects, right? To, to make this chunk smaller so that we have opportunity to give feedback that might take us as a teacher less time, right? It's like easier to read a paragraph than it is an essay, right? <laughs> so just thinking about how we build in those opportunities. Oops, sorry about that. Um, and then also thinking about are there ways that we can put in those sort of checkpoints? And it doesn't always have to be teacher directed, but are there ways where we can have students, you know, have to submit something before they can get on to the next piece, right? Or, or just different creative ways, but I think also, like we said before, just understanding that um, if you can really highlight what you feel like are the most important things that your students need feedback on and focus on that, um, then you're good, right? We, we can't give them all the feedback all the time. We can't maybe give them the rich, robust feedback all the time that we really want to. But if we're setting up these systems where during the practice opportunities and then during the assessment, we're able to, to give them that feedback, then we're doing what we need to and we're doing the best we can in the situations that we're in to make sure that they have that feedback in some capacity and that we have focused on what we feel like are the most important pieces that the students need feedback on. Great. And um, we're getting close on time, but something I really wanted to make sure we included is I know you value the role of social justice and how well it kind of works into skills-based health education. Um, so just a brief minute or so, um, since you've been doing this work, what new learning about this um, concept are you excited to share with us? Yeah, thanks, Cassie. I appreciate the opportunity to speak a little bit to this. Um, so, you know, basically, when you when you think about um, what we're trying to do uh, in health, and and when we think about what impacts our health and wellness, it's actually really interesting because about seventy percent, you know, give or take, of our health and wellness is shaped by our environment around us. So it's things that are going on in society. Um, it does connect to issues of oppression and racism and discrimination. And so there, there, there are these, again, like we talked about at the beginning, right? This, this is how I visualize it. <laughs> the things around us um, shape our health. And so when we include social justice approaches um, in health, it's just this rich opportunity to really help students understand um, issues of inequity. And it's, 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 a, it's a really, there, there's so much, um, there's so many uh, content areas and there's so much like data that you can use to really, to sort of, I think, bring some of these issues to light, but also like advocacy that you, that you learn about um, as a health skill is fundamental to change in our world, right? And so we can actually use um, some of these issues that we know are occurring, you know, in our, in our state, in our, in our county, in our, you know, in our country in general, um, as a tool for, um, you know, 
for helping affect change and, and helping students understand um, these bigger things. And, you know, as you mentioned, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm fairly new to this world myself. And, and I, I often think, man, you know, I made it most of my life and I'm a white person. I made it most of my life not having to think about a lot of this, but the more that I'm learning, there's just so many amazing connections um, in health and health education um, to, to really introduce students to these ideas of, you know, diversity. And, you know, I just was working on a unit plan where we were looking at how prejudice and bias can impact communication and impact relationships. So, there's, there's not a single like content area or skill that we can't connect to these broader issues of creating a society and a world in which everybody is valued um, for who they are. I mean, I think that's like fundamentally what we're trying to do, right? And we can't really be healthy, well, one of the things that I've learned and I think is really has really resonated with me is that we're all part of a collective humanity. So someone else's, you know, lack of ability to be healthy actually is impacting mine, right? And so when we help sort of see this bigger common humanity, um, there's just a, a rich opportunity. So I know that was a really short answer, um, but, but, the, but the fact is like, there's just a wealth of opportunity. And the more that I learn, the more that I learn we can do in health education. And I think one of the resources that we'll have on the landing page for you um, are there, there are a set of social justice standards from tolerance.org that are a great way to start because they're really concrete. And you can think about, you know, as you're looking at your curriculum, where are places that you could put in some of those social justice standards um, into your health education curriculum, you know, as a good place to start um, doing some of this work. Yeah, that's a wonderful resource, tolerance.org and the work that they do. Um, and I appreciate what you're doing and how you're kind of um, communicating some of that information to us. And really, it's all about empowering kids mm -hmm. to take control of your life and what you can manage. And then when you see things that are unfair and not right, you have the skills, you have the tools to work toward making change. And it's all about awareness and having the ability to affect change in their world. So wonderful. Um, so as we wrap up, any parting advice or key points that you'd like viewers to keep in mind as they start or continue their skills-based health education journey? Yeah, I mean, I think um, number one is that it is worth it 100 <laughs> percent um it you know it, it can be like we've talked about there can be some challenges along the way um but we have had so many teachers you know come back and say i wish i had done this a long time ago you know why why didn't i know about this before right so um it's worth it for you as the teacher um it's gonna make a difference for your students um and just know again that you know growth is 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 rarely ever it doesn't ever feel good right i mean i think that's part of what growth is it's it's working through those challenges um but that it really is this you know it's i i have to honestly say the more that i do this work around skills based the more passionate i become about how important this really is um to our students and and to our world and so i guess i would just leave people with that you can see my hands i get all excited when i talk about it <laughs> but just like you know, I, I have been doing this for a long time and I'm still every day excited about it. Um, I'm still learning more about it. Um, and I think that's part of what's exciting about being a teacher and an educator, um, and especially in a topic like health where there's always this rich opportunity for, you know, new ideas and, and new ways to apply the skills. Um, and so I guess that's not a tip, but so much as like a, maybe just a, some 
like solidarity um, in that, you know, this is, this is worth it. Um, it is challenging at times, um, but I think it's one of the most meaningful things that we can do um, to really think about our practice and really um, help our students, you know, be able to um, navigate life, not just health, like life in general. So I, I just, you know, Awesome. You do. <laughs> yeah, it really has transformed the way I teach. And I'm so grateful the work that you and Holly and many other skills-based health education experts have done that's really brought me along and helped me empower my students to live their best life. And that's why we do what we do. Um, so I really appreciate all your time and for sharing with us today. I want to encourage our viewers to make sure that you go back to the landing page, um, click on the feedback form, and that's where you can let us know uh, what you thought about today's session. And also you can connect with us use all the information on the landing page. Oh, by the way, also the feedback form will get you your PGP certificate. So make sure Indiana teachers, especially that you get credit for attending. And I wanna thank everybody for participating.